When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 119 of the Burden and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to us from our friends over to Interview Valet, and his name is Chuck Cooper. Chuck is the managing partner at Whitewater Consulting in Charlotte, North Carolina. Throughout his career, Chuck has been involved at the ownership level of several small and mid-sized companies, and he has extensive experience working in the PEO industry. Chuck's passion is working with the leadership of small and mid-sized companies, helping them define and design their HR strategies that eliminate the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that they may have when it comes to solving their people problems. Now, you've probably noticed a little bit of a theme here recently. I've had a lot of HR folks on over the past few episodes, and uh, I'd love to say that there's a reason for that on purpose, but it's really kind of divine intervention, if you will, because I think it's great that we're having all these HR folks on here talking about uh, relevant topics as we look to get back into our organizations, as we look to bring people back in uh, to our offices. And and Chuck's going to talk a little bit about that and talk about some uh, ways that HR has changed and maybe will change uh, in the future as a result of COVID and the things that we were forced to do. So without uh, further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get out of uh, your way let that stinger play and let you get into this outstanding interview with Chuck Cooper. Chuck, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Earl. It's great to be with you today. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm blessed here. I, you know, I've had a few fellow Southerners on this podcast before, but it seems like I get a lot of folks out of Cincinnati and Michigan. So I always, I always like to talk to a fellow Southerner. Well, it's it's a great place to be. I've been I've, I've originated in the Midwest, but I've been in the South for uh, a little bit over twenty one years now. So I think we're considered a, a true Southerner at this point. There you go. There you go. Well, sir, I think you probably know what's coming here. I know my my guests or my audience does. I want to start you off where I start everybody. Uh, when you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to somebody like you? And I've I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, so I've got a little bit of a you know, a little bit of insight and preparation for this. But when I first heard "burden of command," the first thing that came to mind was you know burden. When I think about that, is just the weight uh, that that is associated with it. But then the burden of command, you know, really for me, I look at it from a leadership perspective, uh, and recognizing that again, that burden is something that really talks about the seriousness of, of the decisions that are being made as a leader. 
And so with my clients, when I think about small to mid-sized companies and their leadership, every decision or a lot of decisions that they make really has a big a ripple effect. So it doesn't just impact them, but it's something that can you know, impacts their employees, their customers, and also their employees and their customers' families in a lot of situations. So as we look at, you know, burden of command, it's just um, really speaks to the heaviness and the s- sincerity of, uh, of, of decision-making. Mm. No, I like that. I like that a lot. And, you know, given the, the kind of chosen profession that you have here, working with, as you said, small to mid-sized companies and, and developing HR strategies and policies and guiding them through that process, you probably have a lot of those types of decisions that you help guide people through, right? We really do. Um, and, you know, it's especially, um, you know, over the last year, but, you know, I, I've been fortunate to kind of be in this space really for the, a little bit over 20 years now. But when I look back over, especially this last year, um, the, the burden of command uh, for helping leaders kind of, you know, navigate the impact of the pandemic and how to, you know, stabilize their companies. Uh, to help make decisions about how they pivot and where they go and and what you know what that future looks like for them has been something that has uh, you know been very it's weighed very heavily on many of us over the last twelve to fifteen months. Well, I can imagine you know as everything started kind of shutting down and telework policies started kind of springing up and and how do we keep people productive and employed during a pandemic. I'm sure that created a whole slew of HR headaches, right? Well, it really did because, again, most companies um, did not have any policies or procedures in place for, you know, allowing their employees to work from home or to work remote. And so, you know, we really kind of got caught in a situation where we had to make some quick decisions. Um, and, in, you know, in many cases, the shelter in place when it hit it was one something that companies they didn't have a choice. They had to send all their people, you know, and to work from home. But also, they had to, um, you know, find ways that they could support their employees who were working virtually with technology and also with with uh, processes to help keep them productive. And so it was one that it took a little bit of time, but you know, overall, I think a lot of companies did really well in making that that pivot. And allowing the, you know, really positioning their companies to to prosper in a lot of situations in 2020. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what somebody can pull off when they have to, right? So, like last year, maybe about this time, I was interviewing a gentleman for the podcast, Chuck uh, Chuck Swoboda, and he was talking about working with a university at the beginning of the pandemic, and he was telling me that uh, this particular university had had a I want to say it was their three to five year plan for expanding, uh, expanding their e-learning courses. And once the pandemic hit and things got shut down, they executed that three to five year plan in about three weeks. And so I'm, I'm assuming some of the folks you worked with probably did similar, right? They really did. And what was, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that three to five year time period, because what we've noticed, and I've talked to a lot of business owners about this, is when the pandemic hit and they allowed their, you know, allowed the employees to work from home or work virtual, it really, in many cases, it pulled forward a lot of the processes and, and plans that they had for their companies for the next five years. And so I, even I think from a, 
And when you look at the future of work, a lot, a lot of the things that they had ideas on what things were going to look like, you know, five years from now, it really has pulled everything forward into today. And so it's really, you know, even though the pandemic was a difficult time period to go through, there's just, there are a lot of positives from a business uh, world that, you know, it's, it's really help make us more effective and more efficient in, uh, in our operations. So I think there's some, definitely some, some silver nuggets um, along the way that, uh, you know, it's going to help make us better as we move forward. I, I agree with that there. So, you know, as I mentioned in the pre-roll bio there, um, you're with Whitewater Consulting. Uh, so what exactly is it that you all do? So Whitewater Consulting is a company that uh, is really designed to be a business consulting practice where we specialize in human resources. So we work specifically with small to mid-sized companies across the country. And when I say small to mid-sized, it's really working with companies that have anywhere from, say, 10 to 15 employees on the small size, all the way up to probably around 400 maybe 450 employees on the top side. And what we really focus on is helping our organizations or helping our clients be able to uh, handle their people problems. Um, as you know, with, with most companies, um, their people are their greatest assets. And along with that, uh, when you have employees, along with that comes challenges. And so we actually help our clients kind of walk through an evaluation process where in some cases we are able to identify gaps within uh, within the C-suite and we help provide some organizational development and some alignment in those areas. But really probably the three key areas, Earl, that we really help our clients focus on is really looking at um, helping them solve the problems of controlling healthcare costs or employee benefit costs for their employees. Second, we provide strategies for them to attract and to retain their high-performing employees. And the third thing that we uh, help our clients with is helping them to really design and define what a positive culture looks like and how to help increase or enhance the employee engagement with their people. Oh, I love it. What you said there. So, yeah, I'll agree. A lot of organizations say that their employees are their most important asset. But when you hit some drastic times, the the actions don't always support that saying. But it sounds to me like what you all do is try to help the organization match their actions to their words through strong HR policies, right? It really is. And it kind of almost goes back to the mission, vision, values of the organization. Um, it's much more, those three things, as well as their policies and procedures, are much more than just typing up a document or putting something up on the wall. It's all about how you go about, you know, modeling those mission, vision, values to your, to your people and to your, to your employees and to their, to your customers as well. So now HR covers a pretty wide range of, of disciplines there. Are you all like a full service? Is there a specific element of HR that you focus on? So when, when you look at Whitewater Consulting, Earl, the thing that's, um, that's the way that we approach things, we work with our clients to really identify the gaps that they may have within their organization. And what we do then is we, we identify and then we prioritize those gaps and then we use our, uh, basically our network of professionals that have got 20, 25, 30 years of experience in their specific areas. And we match them up our, with, to be the solution provider to our clients. So 
instead of Whitewater Consulting getting directly involved in the um, in the delivery of the services, we literally are we are a connector or a conduit to those resources. Oh, no, that's extremely valuable. It's it's knowing the right person that knows the right person, right? Exactly. And so a lot of times, you know, that's where we, we focus on is, you know, the individual solution. But then we also, um, we also have a lot of connections with uh, companies that are HR outsource solutions, such as PEOs or ASOs that we can help connect our clients to as well. Okay, now you just used a couple of uh, of acronyms there that maybe not everybody's familiar with. So, what what is a PEO and an ASO? It's a great question. So, a, a PEO is called a professional employer organization, and a PEO um, essentially serves as a an offsite HR department for small to mid sized companies. They use a a uh, process by which they are allowed to pool all of their clients and their uh, employees together into one basket. So a lot of times uh, a company, a PEO, and just so your listeners will understand, will have a little bit of clarity about this. There's actually a little bit over 900 PEOs in the U S today. And they, they basically uh, again, allow the clients to be able to plug and play into an HR company that provides them with the HR foundation but the big value that they bring is they pool all of these clients and their employees together for um, to use economies of scale to really help drive down the cost of, of employee benefits. And so a company that may have, say, 10 employees, they don't have a lot of leverage when it comes to controlling their health care costs. But if they become part of a PEO, they may be joining an organization that may have a hundred thousand people within their group. And so they, they can take advantage of those economies of scale. Mm, okay. No, I like that. And then an ASO. An ASO is a very similar model to the PEO, except you don't have um, what's called co-employment. Um, so basically as a small business of 10 employees, they can actually look at their own organization and determine what areas they want to keep in-house and continue to have control over and what parts of their HR they want to outsource to a, you know, to a provider that will help them with their payroll, with their work comp, their benefits. But it gives them a lot more flexibility. You don't get the, um, the economy of scale to help control health care costs, but it's more on the administrative side. So the ASO stands for Administrative Service Offering. And so it's just all about really getting the, the tactical things off of your, your desk and allow you to focus more strategically on the growth of your business. Okay. Now, those sounds like really valuable services there. So uh, from an HR perspective, right? So I know a lot of my listeners here are probably right around that. You, you said you consider small 10 to 15. Maybe some of them are kind of knocking on that 10 employee door right now. Some of them may be well past it. When should uh, a, an organization really start considering their HR policies? Well, I think that, you know, obviously the earlier the better. And, and the reason that I say that is even from the time that you hire your first employee, you actually have, there is some additional liability that you take on as being the employer. And so in, not that you need to have an employee handbook in place at that point in time, but you need to be giving thought to uh, what kind of HR infrastructure is going to be needed and really looking at things over the next 
12 to 24 months and then start putting in place your HR uh, strategies at that point. What we oftentimes will see is really once a company hits that five to 10 employee range is when they really start to take HR much more serious and they start to put in the handbooks and the job descriptions and, and providing of you know uh, employee benefits to their team. Because at that point, you really have to have something in place that's going to be able to attract and also to be able to retain those those key employees for you so that you can continue you know continue to grow your organization. Mm. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the handbook there because I listened to you know a couple of other podcasts you've been on, and I like the fact that you you emphasize uh, the employee handbook quite a bit. Uh, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll ask you the question. Why do you feel that employee handbooks are so valuable to an organization? I think probably the biggest reason, and, and again, this is what I've seen. I've experienced this personally myself as a business owner uh, when I just had a couple of employees uh, and we had a dispute that arose. Uh, and the, you know, one of the first things that uh, any type of investigation or investigator would ask for if there's an issue is, you know, we want to see a copy of your policies and procedures and we would like to see a copy of the handbook. So if you don't have anything in place or anything in writing, you're in a position where you're kind of at their mercy. And so that's the reason that I'm a believer in going ahead and putting at least a, a the, the nuts and bolts of what, you know, most handbooks are made up of, uh, at least put in policies that specifically address the needs of your organization at that time. And then this is something that is a living, breathing document and should be reviewed, you know, at least on an annual to every, a biannual basis. Now, when you're, you're talking about employee handbooks, right, you're, you're not talking about like the, say, necessarily the procedures of, uh, you know, insert tab A into slot B to make widget C. You're talking about kind of those interpersonal things, right? Like like anti-bullying policies, anti-sexual harassment policies, things like that, right? Absolutely correct. Yes. So everything that focuses in on the employees, it doesn't have to do with the operations of your business, but it has to do with everything underneath that the task of being the employer. And so, again, it talks about your employee benefits that are being offered. It talks about your PTO that you're making available to the employees. It talks about the, the training that they're going to need to go through, you know, anti-harassment, the anti-bullying, those type of things. But, again, you need to have something, even if it's only a few pages, you need to have a document put together at the time that you start your company up. So I got to ask, like over the last couple of years, you know, we, we've had uh, the social justice movement. We've had the Me Too movement. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of things that have happened on a national stage. Uh, you know, there's been some very high profile organizations that have had high profile incidents happen within their their four walls that have, have driven a lot of uh, a lot of people to be more aware of a need for such policies like this. But I'm just kind of curious, like. Are you seeing more and more, like even at that small scale level of business, that they're they're really focusing on you know discrimination policies and anti-sexual harassment policies in their handbooks more and more? I really am. As, as you look back over the last few years, there has definitely been a, a growing trend uh, to where a lot of things that you know did not really impact small to mid-sized companies. It was typically in that you know the larger organizations at the enterprise level. But as everything that we see over the last five years, everything that has really been 
kind of targeted toward the enterprise level has continued to feed down through into the small to mid-sized companies. And so we are starting to see more of the, um, you know, EEOC type claims that are being filed for within small to mid-sized companies. And quite honestly, this is another reason that looking at HR outsourcing solutions is something that's really valuable to the employer because again, it, it, you have the opportunity to plug into a essentially a Fortune 100, Fortune 500 type HR department for a very, very small company. So it helps in a lot of ways, helps mitigate the liability of being that employer. And I think, yeah, and I think that is valuable. That's something that's just going to grow, right? I mean, as we become a more diverse workforce, these policies just become more and more and more valuable to have on your books. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, and what's really interesting, Earl, is when you look at uh, the number of uh, you know points of compliance, if you go back into the 1990s or, or the beginning of the 2000s um, and look at the number of uh, regulations that you had to comply with and compare that against what we have today, I mean, it's probably grown uh, probably by three to four X of what you know we had to comply with at 2000. So, as we move forward, there's just going to be a, continu- a growing number of regulations that we're going to have to comply with as, as business owners. And tr- is that really where you want to be spending all your time? And the reality is most business owners don't want you know to have to spend a lot of resources uh, to try to s- focus in on compliance. They'd rather focus in on how do we grow our company? How do we grow revenues and develop our team? Um, and also control our cost. Yeah, I mean, well, because I mean, they're complicated, right? I mean, if you uh, if you read the you know the Civil Rights Act, the American with Disabilities Act, if you go back through and uh, read all of those things, like you know, they're they're complicated. And, and I would imagine your average small business owner, not that they can't, but as you mentioned, with all the other sp- uh, plates that they're spinning, that's just the one that's going to bring everything crashing down. So. When you talk about these PEOs and ASOs, um, you know, what are, how can, how can an organization find them? Are there like industry gold standards? Are there things that they should look for in a PEO to, to really uh, serve so they know they're picking a good one? Uh, how do they find the right person for them? Mm, that is really a, another great question because when you look at PEOs, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's over 900 in the U.S. today. Uh the, re- the reality is that there's two things you want to look at. Um, first of all, there's within the industry is called ESAC. So it's the, the Employers Service Assurance Corporation. So the ESAC accreditation really assures that this, this PEO that you're looking at has gone through and has got the financial policies and procedures in place. They've got the st- you know, financial stability to be able to to ensure that their clients are being taken care of. <clears throat> so those are that's one area that you want to make sure that they're ESAC accredited. The second is the IRS a couple of years ago um, also developed a certification to where they are called a CPEO, which is a Certified Professional Employer Organization. And those are the two accreditations you really want to make sure that your, your companies have. Uh, that just minimizes the liability that you have as a client and also uh, ensures that you know, you're in the best of class um, within the industry. 
that's uh, that well, that's good to know. And just out of curiosity, and I don't know if you have these numbers handy. Out of those nine hundred or so, how many of those carry both of those accreditations? You know, I don't know the exact number, Earl, but it, but it's a fairly overall. It's a fairly small percentage, um, and I, I would say that probably you know, you if you went and pulled the list, you could probably find you know. There's probably 25 to 35% maybe. I, I don't know the exact number, but I was guessing that's about what it would be. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's a good guess. I mean, that, that just kind of drives point the home uh, drives home the point uh, that, you know, it's not just something you can kind of pick up a phone book and, and turn to A and call the first one on the list. You really need to do some homework, right? You really do. And then again, that's where uh, from the company, you know, th- that I have with Whitewater Consulting, that's one of the... Uh, our mission uh, is is to help make sure that that our small to mid sized business community is educated, and we serve as a resource for them. So, for your listeners, I mean, if if we can help be a resource and help provide you with those lists of companies, please feel free to reach out to us because we'd be happy to provide that to you. Well, you know, and I usually save that part for the end, but since we're talking about it now, uh, how can folks reach out and, and uh, work with you and, and Whitewater? So our, our website we have is whitewaterconsulting.net, but for our listeners to the uh, podcast, we actually have a, a landing page set up for them, and that page is whitewaterconsulting.net forward slash BOC. So there they can find all my contact information as well as some additional free resources that we make available to the listeners. And one of those free uh, resources is a 30-minute free consultation. So if anyone has questions about their, about HR, about, you know, what, when they should be looking at uh, developing some of their HR infrastructure, have any questions related to that, we would be happy to have that conversation and, and provide a, a complimentary, uh, you know, time with them to help, help them be able to move their, their company forward. Oh, well, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you very much, folks. Uh, you better take, uh, take Chuck and his folks up on that because 30 minutes free is, is invaluable. So, uh, really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're glad, you know, glad to do that. And again, that's whenever we started the company, that was just, that was first and foremost, what was important to us um, was to be able just to help educate and and be a a valuable resource. Because when you look at at what entrepreneurs and small business owners face today, I mean, the reality is they took a big risk to start their business. Um, They've done a great job in identifying a product or service to, to sell to the marketplace and then, you know, to go out and hire people and, and which has a positive impact on our economy, has a positive impact on the employees' families, uh, to be able to uh, give back to them um, and to be able to help them navigate their day-to-day you know, world of being a business owner is something that is really an honor and a privilege for the work that we do because I, I really look at them to be our, our greatest heroes. Well, yeah, and and I love the fact that you mentioned it and you say it that way because you know I don't know what the 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 modern numbers are. The last study I saw was probably three or four years old, but you know a vast majority of of new startups. Uh, well, I won't say a vast majority, a vast percentage of new startups uh, were actually you know veterans, uh, and so trying to continue that service and startup veteran uh, run organizations and all that. There's you know, there's a lot that comes with that. And as a veteran myself, my hat's off to anybody 
who in this environment right now that we're in, as we talk about COVID a little bit, there's whatever it is trying to start up a business right now is probably scarier than it's ever been, right? It really is. And, you know, it's really what's interesting, Earl, is I look back over the years, whenever we've had, you know, had situations where we've gone through difficult times, that's where a lot of small businesses are started. And, you know, oftentimes that question comes up is, you know, why would you choose to start a business in the middle of a pandemic? And the reality is that there's just, there's an opportunity there that in many cases people are, you know, at home uh, and they've, they're giving a lot more thought to that and feel like that now's a, a good time to, to take that risk and to step out and, and start up their own business. So I certainly applaud, you know, people that are, that are open to doing that. And, and if I may, um, I know that you are a, a veteran, you're, you've served in the military and because of the time of year that we're in right now, I'd love to be able to take just a second to, uh, to say thank you to you, Earl, and to, uh, to the listeners who are veterans and thank you for your service and for your, the commitment that you all have made to this great country. Uh, we don't take our, the freedom that we have. We don't take that for granted. Um, we're grateful for that each and every day. And, uh, I want to just take just a second just to say thank you, um, for, you know, for the choice, uh, and the decisions that you all have made to make this country great and to keep it great. Well, sir, I appreciate that. I think I can speak for just about every veteran listening when I say it was our honor to serve because, uh, you know, it truly was. It's a great nation. We all signed up for it because we loved it. And, uh, you know, we, we keep trucking along because we, we love America, all it stands for and all it can be. We, we know, you know, that's the one thing that I love about being a veteran is knowing that we know uh, that we've got a lot of warts and we've got a lot of things that we can fix, but we're committed to to working on them. Maybe a slow process, but we're working on them. Uh, so, and we would appreciate, and I'll, I'll say this again, uh, I feel comfortable saying this on behalf of, of my fellow veterans. We really appreciate folks like you, uh, who are going out and doing the work that you're doing to help folks like us, you know, realize these dreams after our service. So, you know, in a lot of ways, we want to say thank you for your service and what you're doing. Well, it's been an honor and a privilege for sure. So I, I, I look at it from the standpoint that I've got, uh, I have three kids and we have, uh, a handful of, of grandkids as well. So the future of our country is extremely um, important to me and something that um, I, will, I want the best for them and for their futures as well. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely appreciate it. And, you know, talking about entrepreneurship, you know, one of the reasons a lot of people do decide to strike out, especially in times like this, is because usually um, they've been working for an organization and let's say COVID hits and the organization is maybe slow to respond and put these telework policies in place to make it easier for them. And then let's just say when they do, they, they do the overreaching that some organizations did. They're like, hey, we want to install this tracking software on your computer so we know that you're not watching Netflix eight of your eight hours a day. Uh, and then they kind of get tired of the oversight. They get tired of the kind of the bad HR practices. They get tired of the bad uh, leadership, right? So this seems to me like what you do is is a great way for an organization to kind of inoculate themselves against a mass exodus of people thinking, hey, I don't like where I'm working. I can run my own business better. So I'm just going to do it and start my own business. 
And we've, again, we've seen, you know, we've seen this fairly often over the last 10 years. Uh, but to your point, I think that, um, you know, a lot of times there are just so many people in this country that they, they want, you know, to be able to go out and, and start up their own company and to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and I, I have the privilege of serving at an organization here in Charlotte called SCORE. Uh, which is part of the Small Business Administration. And we talk to entrepreneurs and people every day that have ideas on what they would like to, you know, what they want to do with their business. They don't have a business plan put together. They don't have anything more really than just a concept. But I think that, um, you know, with, with the work that they want to do and the passion that they have, uh, you know, we're able to just give, use our experience and be able to provide some guidance to them to help make that process a little bit easier and help them get their, you know, reach their objectives a little bit quicker. So that's really, you know, again, that's part of the, the service that we are able to provide. Um, and I think that to your point on, on the companies, you know, a year ago, um, using technology to track, you know, the activity of their, of their people, what we found was, um, when we, when the pandemic first hit and everybody ultimately became paralyzed. And I would say that in this case, everybody in the world became paralyzed pretty much at the same time. Uh, we found that the business owners that were part of peer groups or had some type of a business coach, they were able to really get their legs under them quicker and they were able to move their organizations forward quicker. And I think that's something that um, really spoke to me as far as the value that um, the entrepreneurs can find as being a part of a peer group. And so, again, that's something that I think that we encourage all of our clients to at least give strong consideration to because it really helps them have a sounding board and also helps them have kind of a board of directors, which which they can bring ideas or challenges to and and talk through what the best solution is for them. No, I was going to say, I, I wanted to just kind of echo what you said there about that board of directors or, or even if it, you know, even if it's just the right, you know, group of buddies talking about it that, that happen to be entrepreneurs as well, whether you want to call them a board of directors or not. But, you know, one of the things that, that, that I stress and teach here at the Leadership Phalanx is this concept of cognitive diversity, right? Just simply diversity of thought. And what, what Chuck was saying here is bounce that idea off some of your closest friends, right? It doesn't matter if they're in the industry. It doesn't matter if they're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur themselves or not. At very least, they're going to give you the perspective of how they would feel if their employer did that. And it's so valuable to have that feedback. It is. And, you know, we had several clients um, as we went through the pandemic that, you know, they were not part of a peer group and they were literally sitting in their office pretty much 24 hours a day, just, you know, paralyzed they really didn't know for sure what to do or how to where to turn to and what one of the recommendations we were able to make to him is look pull your pull your um your leadership teams together these are people that you have entrusted to be a part of your organization to provide leadership to your team pull these people together and use them as your as your sounding board and talk through the you know not only the ideas that you have the challenges you have but also ultimately 
you know, peel this thing back and talk about how, what, how you're personally feeling as you're going through these difficult times. And it really, in, in many cases, it served to be a really valuable tool for them because it allowed them just to be able to voice some of the concerns and challenges that they were, they were feeling. And when they were able to do that, there's kind of a sense of release. Um, and so they were actually able to think clear about how they can move their organization forward um, in a more effective way. Yeah, no, I love that. And I would say, I'll just add this on there as kind of a, a, a caveat, if you will. Don't just surround yourself with people who are going to tell you what you want to hear. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but it was an ancient uh, uh, philosopher, and I'm paraphrasing with modern language, but he essentially said, if you really want to know what kind of job you're doing, ask your enemy. <laughs> you know, and, and don't be afraid to include that person in your circle, right? Because if everybody's telling you, hey, you're doing great, everything is awesome, that should be the first indicator that there's something really wrong, right? It, it is. And that's, you know, again, going back to leadership, I think that's something that being able to create that culture within your team to where you can allow people, you know, to be able to speak freely and to speak honestly about what they're seeing. Uh, is something that's really it's critically important, and and, what, and just as as a example of that, we had a client here uh, a couple of months ago that they were having challenges within their organization as far as the uh, level of morale and employee engagement, and by coming into that organization to their company and interviewing their C-suite, uh, their managers, and the, even the employee level, uh, we were able to gain a comprehensive perspective on what was really going on within the company. And by identifying through those interviews, some gaps that they were not seeing and, you know, to, uh, correctly, uh, we were able to uh, I make some recommendations and some, bring some solutions to them that ultimately allowed the employees to feel like they were being heard, which pr- increased the morale of the organization and the employee engagement. And every time that we go through that process, Earl, and we find employees that are happy, they are typically more engaged and more engaged employees typically lead to more productivity, which ultimately leads to higher profitability within the company. So it's it's interesting to see those dynamics on how they play out um, and how they can almost 100% of the time, you know, happy employees higher engaged employees lead to profitability. And uh, it's been something that I think stands true to time, uh, you know, over the last, you know, five to 10 years that I've been doing this. Well, yeah. And I agree with you. And the sad part about it is if you believe the statistics are out there and I do, I agree with you. Happy and engaged employees are a hundred percent better uh, productivity and all that good stuff. Right. But 70% or more of the workforce is, quote, actively disengaged at work. So how can an organization, knowing what you said is true and knowing that those statistics are true, how can they get their organization and their employees to be more engaged in the workforce? Well, obviously, that starts with leadership, and it starts at the top, and that it really focuses back in on, you know, and that's one of the things I think we've learned as we've gone through the pandemic from a leadership perspective, and that is um, 
that to be an effective leader today, we have to be uh, transparent. We have to be authentic. And we also have to be willing to you know, obviously be empathetic as well, which means that we have to be willing to share you know, on a more personal level those concerns and, and be more uh, real with our team about the way we communicate with them. And I think that creates a culture within the organization that employees feel like they're being heard. They have a little bit more clarity on where the organization is going. They see their leaders as being more real. And so it kind of it brings you together as a community. And with the, within that, the, it allows everybody to realize that we are all on the same team. We're not in a hierarchy, but we're working collaboratively as one organization toward one goal, um, which is the mission of the company. And when you do that, you get a lot more buy-in and a lot more engagement from your, your team. But I think that it starts with leadership and it has to be something that is driven down through the organization, through your managers. Mm, I agree. I agree. Well, Chuck, you know, there's one question that I'm really curious about here, and we've kind of danced around it a little bit because we mentioned COVID and, and that uh, a few times. But uh, with the organizations you work for, because I know there, there's uh, work for and with, I should say, um, there's been a lot of talk lately about the the mental health impacts that COVID has had on our workforces. Uh, have you noticed any of that with the organizations that you work with? And if so, uh, what are they doing to try to help their people kind of deal with the, the mental health aspects of COVID? So I think, Earl, that's, I mean, that's a, there's a lot of uh, different components that go along to that question. Uh, but I think that as far as the small to mid-sized businesses and really uh, even at the enterprise level as well, the first thing we have to do is recognize, you know, th that is a major issue. So as we're looking to bring employees back uh, into the office, you know, one of the things we have to ascertain as we do this is what is the, the mental health of our, of our workforce. And because of the fact of COVID, <clears throat> we've got a lot of comp a lot of employees that have really suffered a great deal um, over this last year. And what we're finding is it's not just at the employee level, but it's also at the manager level as well. So companies are, are looking at the resources that they have available today, which is part of their benefits package. Um, a lot of companies will have what's called an EAP, which is a, you know, some additional benefits that address the needs for mental health. Um, so that's one thing that we're helping our clients do is really to communicate the resources that they already have available to them. But second, uh, we're identifying some other resources that can be made available through benefit packages that they can be incorporating um, later on this year. The next thing that we're talking in, in detail about is training our managers so that they understand and have a little bit more clarity about what the signs of employee burnout looks like, uh, what the signs of you know mental health issues in general looks like. And because a lot of times they don't know the specifics to that. So providing them with some additional training um, is going to be something that's going to be very beneficial as we move forward. The next thing is we have to be able to destigmatize um, the, the 
is, I guess, really destigmatize mental health. We have to be able to let people know that it's okay to come out and to say that we're, right now I'm not okay. And by doing that, we're going to allow pe- more conversations really to take place. And through that, just by talking and identifying those uh, those needs, we're going to be able to help get allow them to get help um, as we work through that process. Man, I love everything you just said there because I was just on a uh, a webinar with two previous guests on the show, actually a gentleman named Anthony Casablanca and uh, Mark Deluzio. And so Anthony uh, he does a lot of work in uh, what what he's dubbed grief leadership. Uh, which focuses, as it sounds like, specifically on helping people uh, lead through periods of grief with their employees, which I think we can all agree on one level or another, that's what COVID has been for a year and a half or more, right? Um, but it's it's what you were just talking about there is, is that mental health piece. And I just want to echo what you said because it's so valuable that uh, mental health is something that this country has done a terrible job with. Uh, and as you said, when people do finally feel that they can come forward, we we have this tendency to have kind of a negative reaction. And whether it's overtly negative or covertly negative, when we start treating people completely different, when we start treating them like they're this broken, uh, this broken thing, uh, that that just further alienates them and, and can deepen some of those moral injuries that they're feeling. We need to be better at, at when our folks come to us and say, hey, I'm suffering from this mental health issue of, of being supportive, of showing the you use the perfect word empathy and not just treating them like they're this weirdo that needs to be locked away because it's not the truth. <laughs> mental health shows in a lot of ways and they're looking for us to be those supportive leaders that we claim we want to be. Right. Exactly. And and I think that, you know, to that point, Earl, I think that, you know, as as leaders, we, we need to be one of the benefits that we've seen employees not utilize, uh, which I think can have a significant impact on their mental health, is the use of, of vacation days or of PTO. Uh, a couple of years ago, this is even before the pandemic, the people within the U.S., we left seven hundred over 700 million days of unused PTO on the books. And because of COVID and because of all the financial stress and, and the just stress from life that's taken place over the last year, we've got to continue to encourage our employees to take breaks from work um, and encourage them to use their vacation days that they have. And part of that happens, uh, falls really to the, to the business owners and to the leadership teams to model that to their, to their teams. And I've got a, a client that I just spoke with again the other day, they're bringing their people back to their office but their leadership team is telling their people, you have to take your every vacation day between now and the end of the year. And when you go on vacation or when you take time away, we are taking we are turning off your emails and we're turning off your company paid cell phones so that you can truly unplug and get refreshed. Because we know that when you come back, you know, you're going to be refreshed and you're going to be a better, more productive employee for our company. I love that. Yeah. It, so it reminds me of a conversation I was just having with a, a leader and we were talking about the, the reason why I used that analogy earlier that, uh, you know, how do I know my people aren't watching Netflix eight hours a day? And my question to them was, are you paying them to occupy a space in your building 
or are you paying them for their productivity? And he's like, well, we're obviously paying them for their productivity. And my response was, are they, st-? then my follow-up question was, are they still being productive and getting their work done? Well, yes. Then why does it matter? <laughs> you know, let them have that mental vacation and watch Netflix as long as they're staying productive and getting their tasks done. Right. Exactly. And that, and I think, you know, that's one of the other key areas that I think that uh, we have to focus on as well. And that is on, on uh, really setting and, and being respectful of boundaries, particularly, you know, when you look at the way that we're operating today, we're not only living within our homes, but we're also, that, that's also our, our office, our place of employment. And in many cases, we're also educating kids at the same time, all within the same four walls. So being able to uh, clearly set boundaries on personal time and work time and being respectful of that, I think is really important for, uh, for business owners to consider moving forward as well. Yeah. Well, because what was the stat that came out not too long ago that said since the pandemic uh, and people have been working from home, the average person actually works, what is it, like three or four hours more a day than they did when they were going to the office? Exactly. And that's even though they're not, you know, they're not having to commute. Um, so they're they're actually able to they're working more hours working from home that, and also productivity is up. Mm-hmm. So it's really again, we've. We've learned a lot going through this pandemic and learn, you know, going, having people working from home. Uh, it really has opened up the eyes to, you know, a lot of business owners as well as employees that, hey, we can be productive working elsewhere besides in our office. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing right now is like everybody's talking about, wow, I can't wait to get back to normal. I can't wait to get back to normal. If your definition of normal is what we did before, uh, let's just say March of 2020, I think you're already playing losing pool right there because we've learned too much about what the future of work should look like that nobody wants to go to the past of work again, right? Exactly. You know, what's really funny when you think about the conversations that were being had in 2018, 2019, people were complaining because there wasn't enough work-life balance. Uh, And so when I hear people today say, "We, we can't wait to go back to the way it used to be. Uh, the real, from my perspective, and what I keep trying to encourage my clients to look at is like, look, we have a new opportunity here in front of us. We don't want to go back to the way it used to be. Let's take what we've learned and, and let's. We have the opportunity today to really recreate something that could be better than what it was. So let's capitalize on, on moving forward, but let's create something that's better within our work, within our families, and within our country um, that can really put us on a, a better course as we look to the future. I love that. Well, Chuck, look, believe it or not, we've been talking here for almost 50 minutes and it has just been an outstanding conversation. Uh, thank you very much for being a guest and, and having this discussion with me. I've thoroughly you know, really enjoyed it and uh, I, I look forward to uh, being able to stay in touch with you and uh, hopefully you'll be able to speak to some of the listeners um, in the days and weeks ahead. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I appreciate that. And again, we'll put that landing page uh, in, in the link so they can get to that and take advantage of all that you have to offer and, and hopefully look you up and take advantage of that 30 minute session. But uh, before I let you go here, I got to ask, I know we covered a lot of ground. We hit on a lot of topics, but is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you really want to leave the listeners with before we go? I think the one thing that I would mention, Earl, would be from a 
from an employee benefits perspective as, as we're bringing people back to the office and we're looking toward 2022. Uh, I think it's really, it, it, there's great value in being able to look at the employees from a holistic perspective. So as we look at benefit plans going forward, you know, let's look at not just the physical health of the employees, but let's also look at ways that we can incorporate mental health, social health, and financial wellness into the offerings that, that we're providing to our people. Um, because if they truly are our greatest asset, you know, we owe it to them to be able to um, provide the resources that they need to be the most, you know, to be the healthiest, happiest employees they can be. Ultimately, will become the most productive employees for for us as as business owners. Well, Chuck, brother, I couldn't have said it any better myself, so I'm not even going to try. Thank you very much for that. And again, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. It has been uh, an outstanding and enlightening 50 minutes for me, and I can't help but believe it's going to be the same thing for the listeners. So really appreciate you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yep, absolutely. And listeners, uh, you know how to get a hold of Chuck. Hopefully by now you know how to get a hold of me. But if not, it's burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, be sure to hit me up with any any feedback, any uh, ideas for stories, any ideas for uh, guests that you may have. And make sure that you're continuing to get out there and, and subscribe, rate, review, and share the show uh, so guests like Chuck can have their ideas spread further and reach more people because they're outstanding ideas that more people need to be exposed to. So thank you for taking that responsibility seriously. Uh, with that, thank you for spending your time with us as listeners, and I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.